either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, no matter what's happening on TV, it is still Shark Week at the movies. <laughs> Welcome. We'll dig into that one and many more. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We're from MadWolf.com, so let's start there. Research team encounters multiple threats while exploring the depths of the ocean, including a malevolent mining operation. Meg to the trench. Three massive megs, and who knows what else have escaped the breach. I just hope it goes better than last time. What happened last time? You don't want to know. Go, go, go! We've never seen this before. They hunted it back. We can relax. This place, magproof. Ooh, Barracuda! Well, a couple things caught us about this movie. First of all, it's got a great tagline. The tagline is, new Meg, old chum. That's a good one. Okay, I, I like, like that. It. And it sets you up for the a, an attitude, a tone, that the film only halfway delivers on. And we'll get to that. But also the director, Ben Wheatley. Yes, we're big fans. Big fans big of Ben fans. Wheatley. If you don't know, his resume includes Kill List, Sightseers, Free Fire, right. High Rise, mm-hmm. Field in England. Good stuff. We mm-hmm. like all of those. Mm-hmm. This just seemed a real a real curveball for him. Now, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody. You want to branch out. You want to take something new. Okay. It just seems strange. Yeah. And, and the film, again, talking about that tagline... It has a it has a tonal shift about halfway through that <laughs> at least I know of of one person already that hasn't made it through because no. the first 60 minutes are such a slog. It it catches back up of course with uh Meg conquering hero Jonas played by Jason Statham from the last film which is what a couple of years ago. And since then he's become sort of an, an eco warrior. And he's out trying to bust illegal dumping of radioactive waste and things on the on the high seas. Uh, and he's still out there with with his buddies Mac, Cliff Curtis, the always, always reliable Cliff Curtis. Absolutely. And a DJ played by Paige Kennedy, who, if you remember, was the real the scaredy cat from last time. <laughs> and that's not the case this time. We'll get to that as well. But uh, so then he visits the Jonas is back in the research facility with all the latest toys. And next thing you know, they're doing a dive into the trench. And next thing you know, they've they've breached the the thermocline that keeps the mags and everything in the trench from coming up because they can't uh, you know, they can't pass through that. They get down there with the whole team, and they find there's an illegal mining operation going on, and there's at least one mole in their ranks, and they've been double-crossed, and some of their squad dies, and they've been left for dead, and then the Megs, there are more Megs, and you get down there, and you find out that it's not just the Megs, there's like a Skull Island down there. That's right. (laughs) all sorts of these huge species that are threatening, so up until that point... It's just, it plays it much too serious. First of all, all that stuff that I just talked about is pretty much lifted. It's it's structured just like aliens. Mm-hmm. They get down, there's a crash, they have to go from one, they have to walk from one crashed vehicle into this into this facility. 
walking across there through all this uh, danger, and it, it's and there's a team, you know, just much oh, like yeah. it. There's it's so so much like aliens. And then okay, fine, but it's not. It's just a snooze, and the the CGI is not good. And you're like, oh, uh, you're. But then it's like they flipped a switch. At the halfway point, they decide to just give in and just go with the camp of it and have some fun, which is what they should have done since, at minute one. Obviously. Well, first of all, let's start with at 60 minutes, we're at the halfway point. Right. Why would the Meg to <laughs> the trench be a full two hours? Yeah. it's it's Read the room. It's pretty darn close It's if it's not exactly. It's it's pushing two hours. So I looked. I looked at, at my, my watch, my phone. At the halfway point, and you it was. You your phone. <laughs> I don't wear a watch, you know. So <laughs> 60 minutes in is when they make this shift, and then all of a sudden, Jonas Statham turns into this. I don't, I'm going to go into how it happens, but he's, <laughs> he's like this water-breathing. He doesn't really breathe water, but pretty damn close. I mean, you see, Aquaman was happening, but okay, fine. And then the Megs, they're, they're back up, and, and they've uh, gone to the refuge, they think, of this all-inclusive resort called Fun Island. And it's not fun anymore once they get there and all not only the Megs, but these other creatures from Skull Island, basically, just <laughs> invade this paradise of, of Fun Island of all these rich people trying to enjoy the beach. And then, you know, it's havoc everywhere. And then it's like a cross between Jaws and Aliens and Jurassic Park. There's mm-hmm. plenty of that, that in there, too. But Piranha. Then, Piranha. But yeah. then you've got Jonas Statham on a jet ski trying to lure the, the Megs away from all the people. And he's pretty much just surfing a big wave on a jet ski while he's attacking these Megs with an old helicopter blade. (laughs) Yes! Let's go! That's right. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. And then, back to DJ, who was the the scaredy cat. Well, since then, he has been taking some serious badass lessons and some catchphrase (laughs) lessons, too, because he he pretty much knew this was going to come up again. And he's ready, and he is funny. Some of the stuff he's ready for, people are looking at him like, Wait a minute, aren't you the guy that, not anymore, he's ready to go. He survived the first one. <laughs> he's not dumb. So he's fun. And there's there's just a lot of fun, campy fun in the second half. And it's almost like a reward. You'll appreciate it more if you make it through that first half. <laughs> if you're not like our friend Tyrone who bailed and went for coffee after 60 minutes, which I really don't blame him. No, but, not at all. But sit tight. And if there's going to be some fun in this movie, if you just love that ridiculousness of these shark movies, and don't mind some shaky CGI, you'll get it in the second half of this movie. So just come late if you really want to. Yeah, just come late. (laughs) I mean, because it's just such a change in tone. It's amazing. And it's funny because I haven't read. This is based on a series of novels. Right. And I I haven't read them. No. But I looked up on them, and they're serious. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not campy at all. They are a serious... So I, I, I looked at the synopsis, and they don't follow the... The plot, they just take basic ideas. That's why they say they're based on the book, although the uh, writer doesn't get an official writing credit. But they just they borrow a few things, but they just take it way in a different direction because the books, it really looks like, are serious, straight stories. This, especially after the 60-minute the mark, is just camp fun. And I did find some fun in it uh, after that. If you can make it through... That's when you'll get uh, get the fun and funny and funny lines and just some some shark exploitation as Shutter has uh, <laughs> has dubbed it. And boy, by the way, if you didn't hear us talking about that a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, uh, check out shark exploitation on Shutter. 
But uh, Meg 2, The Trench, is out there now in the theater. It's kind of a half, a halfway thumbs up, maybe. It uh, depends if you love the shark stuff. All right, let's go from a halfway, maybe enjoyable movie to a full two thumbs up. This film follows the Turtle Brothers as they work to earn the love of New York City while facing down an army of mutants. It's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. I'm awesome. We're brothers. We fight together. We're just getting started. sounded like a leader. I do? Oh, I do! Oh, I sound like such a leader! And you ruined it. Remember, don't let any human see you. Hey! Well, we were saying this morning on our TV gate, we've lost track, really, of how many times the, the Turtles have been rebooted here on the big screen. But we can say with confidence, this is the best time. It really is. And... You know, I, I remember seeing, thinking to myself the first time I saw the trailer, like, do we really need to do this again? But even the trailer had me hooked. I thought, first of all, it looks different than all of the other ones. Boy, and it does. It really it does. It really does. And we got the chance to see it in 3D, and it the, the animation is spectacular. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because we also saw the Meg, Meg 2 in 3D, and that... <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm totally serious. Yeah. And I didn't even mention it because it's that forgettable. Yeah. It is so forgettable. The visuals in Meg 2, especially the 3D, not worth it at all. But I digress. Yes. Well, in in yeah, in yeah, Mutant Mayhem, it was, I mean, the, again, it's, it's just a glorious piece of animation. And the 3D really gives it clearly, obviously, depth. Yeah. And it's, it's a different, like you said, a different mm-hmm. style. You know, we were talking a few weeks ago about the new... Spider-Man mm-hmm. that has all these different yes. nods and homages to different uh, visual styles. This is a different one too and it's yeah. so it's so refreshing to look at. It is. You know, we said this last year. Last year we said, "Damn, this was a good year for animation." Well, 2023 is shaping up to be a really great year for animation also. Um and then, you know, one of the other things that's great about this one, and we'll get into some of the some of the more specifics, but all four Ninja Turtles are actually voiced by teenagers right. for the first time. Isn't that amazing that it's been the first time? Yeah. And um and one of those teenagers happens to be from right here in Columbus, Ohio, where yeah, we live. Uh, yeah. his name is Micah Abbey, and he does a great job, as they all do. But they are surrounded by massive superstars in even the smallest of roles, which is fun. Yeah, because basically the the couple of guys at the at the heart of this reboot, uh, Seth Rogen and his partner Evan Goldberg, they are two of the writers on this, and so they you can tell by the list of cast members they got a lot of buddies. They do to come yeah. in and do oh a lot of gosh. voices, but there's just some fantastic some fantastic talent here. Not only Seth Rogen, but then you've got Rose Byrne. Of course, they've been in a few movies together. Um, you've got Maya Rudolph, Jackie Chan, uh, John Cena, um, Ice Cube, Paul Rudd, Post Malone. I mean, Hannibal Burris goes yeah. on and on and oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and and uh, Paul Rudd is hilarious as this mutant gecko. And, as he uh, always is. As he is. always is. <laughs> he steals every scene, per use. And uh, and Ice Cube plays the villain, right? Superfly. Yeah. And he's a mutant housefly. Yep. He's very creepy, and his face is super nasty. Awesome. And he's just got right the perfect voice. He for does. Him. He, he really, really does. does. Yeah. And we say all the time on this show, you, you can't take that for granted. Not every good actor is also a good voice That's actor. That's exactly right. And and these guys all are there. And and the thing too about about the film itself is that it's quite clear. The filmmakers really love this franchise, right. which is necessary. I mean, they're not phoning it in at all. But the other thing is that they have absolutely 
brought it up to date. So it's not just a nostalgia property. I mean, it's a it's a good movie that kids who have no idea about this show will love. Yeah, uh, the directors, we should say co-directors, Jeff Rowe um, or Rao uh, and Kyler Spears are the directors. And that's a good point to make because probably you have, as I have been seeing all this week, a lot of social posts about these people who have a lot of nostalgia for this series. I know I don't. It was well after my time and a little after your time, yeah, too. Yeah, I, I do. I'm familiar with all of it because I babysat and because of my nephew, uh, my nephew Michael. We got him We got him a digital uh, <laughs> uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle plastic watch for yeah. Christmas one year, and we were his favorites. Well, it, yeah, I have zero nostalgia <laughs> for it, but that's great that it's still enjoyable yeah. for everyone. It really is. You can it's just come a good in, movie. It's just, and funny. Yeah, it exactly. It's such family a, friendly. Yep. It is such a treat to say that. Yeah. Uh, PG 13. No, it's just PG. Just PG. See, there you go. Family friendly. And this one just over an hour and a half. So, Perfect. Hey, it is. So something for everybody here, whether you're a longtime fan or really not, you can get into this for a, a number of reasons and enjoyable, the animation, funny, and it is in theaters now called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Let's stay in theaters for a comedy drama follows a trio of young Bay Area urbanites as they navigate a range of interpersonal relationships while traversing the country in search of the ideal connection its shortcomings. I was practically the only non-white person in my entire high school. And you never felt discriminated against? I definitely did, but not because I was Asian. Because of your inherent bad personality. Exactly. You have problems with anger, depression, your weird self-hatred. You could benefit from a little self-hatred. Interesting. I know you're gonna want to blame this on society or on your race or whatever, but this really is just about you. Is this your rock bottom? What is she doing with that guy? They're being adorable. So we finally get to meet your mysterious boyfriend. Hello, Ben. Hi. Praise Jesus. Maybe just be honest with him. I'm not sure how accurate that synopsis really is. Well, that's what was written down on IMDb, <laughs> so that's what I read. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't I wasn't uh, uh, criticizing you. It's just that the, it doesn't really describe the movie. This movie is really, really funny. Yeah. And there are a couple of things that really stood out for me right away. First of all, it has the feel of like a 90s indie dramedy, you know. Um, and th- then the other thing is that uh, I love it when a film is not worried about having an unlikable protagonist and that's sort of what in this movie um you think to yourself well he's a good guy right i mean it's like you find yourself siding with him almost by force of habit because he is the protagonist of a movie and then as he does across uh, during the course of the film you start to go no i think he's a dick (laughs) and i think everything is happening to him because he's a dick Mm -hmm. maybe if he stopped it and um and it's just so well written, acted, and directed to pull you along, and still you never lose interest in it. it it's got a great setup. So Ben, who is played uh, really beautifully by uh, Justin H. Min, who by the way was Yang yes. in After Yang. Oh uh, my god! If you haven't is... seen if you haven't seen After Yang, it's it's not a comedy. No, but uh, look it up. Oh my god, it's magnificent! And this is an incredibly different character for him. He and his girlfriend go to as the movie opens. They go to see what is clearly. Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. That's not what they call it, but that's clearly what they're seeing at the uh, at the Asian American Film Festival where his girlfriend works. 
And everybody loves it. They stand, they clap, they cheer, and he's just disgusted at the entire idea. (laughs) And he can't even make himself be polite about it when her boss asks him what he thinks. So as they're walking home... You know, she's like, you, you can't even just be excited that we get a chance to see ourselves on a screen. No, he can't because he's just jaded. And he, the thing is, he really is uncomfortable and happy seeing anybody sort of like try to knock it, just the, try to knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. It, like it makes him so uncomfortable. It's a great opening scene and it has an equally great closing scene. And in between is just really smart sort of you know, insightful comedy. It's I, I was very impressed by this movie. And you're also, I remember how uh, impressed you were from Joyride with uh, Cherry Cola. Oh, yes. And she is back as Alice in this film. Yeah. Uh, she once again is playing the very, very funny best friend. <laughs> and she's, <laughs> why? She's, it's a niche, but she does it really well. And she has... She gets most of the best lines in the movie, but I think in this film she gets a little bit more of an opportunity to, because it's less of a broad comedy, she gets a little bit more of an opportunity to act, and she does a great job. And it's just a delightful kind of biting comedy, but uh, but I just, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, the writer is Adrian Tomine, hope I'm pronouncing it. Ba- it's based on his... Graphic novel. Yeah, and then he also wrote a couple of years ago, if you remember the movie Paris 13th yeah. District, he wrote that. And the director is Randall Park, who if you don't know his name, you probably know his face. Yeah, been comic in, actor, but in Been a in a lot of, of things. He had his own TV show, Fresh Off the Boat, right. for a while. He played um, uh, Kim uh, in uh, the interview with right. Seth Rogen, right, right, right. and he's in, been in a bunch of stuff, uh, supporting roles. But this is he's the director on this as well. So, yeah, this is one that is... Like you said, a, a non, an unlikable protagonist. We've seen more movies approach it here in the last few years because it, for so long, it was one of those rules mm-hmm. you didn't want to break. Well, no, you can break yeah. that. You definitely can, and you can reflect life like that, and you can do it in a very funny way, uh, as this movie does. And it is out in theaters now. Recommendation for shortcomings. Let's stay in the theaters for a horror comedy. We like those, and this one. <laughs> As things go badly for a small film crew shooting a low-budget zombie movie when they are attacked by real zombies. It's called Final Cut. I don't know how much of the plot I, I want to give away in this movie because it's really very clever. On the other hand, it's a remake of another movie. So right. I keep thinking, did anybody see it? But probably not. So I'm not going to give away One much of cut the plot. Of the One Cut of the Dead, which is hilarious. We loved it so much. Very it's so clever. charming. Very clever. Um, and this one, I think the most shocking thing about this is that the director is the same director yeah. who made The Artist. You yeah. remember? Oh, the yes. Oscar winning The Artist? Very much so. <laughs> and it stars the leading lady yes. from The Artist, uh, Berenice Bejo. Mm-hmm. She's in this too. So yeah, quite a left turn for the two of them. Yes. Um, and you know, and at the same time, I think there's, there's, I can see the appeal to him to make this movie because a bit like The Artist, it is a, a, a sort of a vulnerable... Uh, sort of charming insiders look at making movies. Right. And that's exactly what this is. Right. And he does a very capable job. One of the things I think is that struck me as the funniest is that they they don't really update like the film within a film, its plot. And its plot is clearly Japanese. 
because the original film, mm-hmm. One Cut of the Dead that he's remaking, was a Japanese movie. And so they'll like relay the plot of the movie, like the curse you know, that is bringing about the zombies, and one character will go, a Japanese uh, scientist? And then the, another character will say, it's unlikely, but not impossible. And that's just how they address it throughout. <laughs> yeah. So it is. It's very clever and ton- tongue-in-cheek. It's not done as... I mean, it's, it's so hard to say that because he's such a great filmmaker, but the truth is the original is just so much snappier. The performances are a little bit more believable, and which is, again, if you see the film, you're like, well, is believability really something we're striving for here? But it's just... Um, it's not that it's bad. It's charming. It just is not nearly as upbeat and zany as the original. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel as much like they're going through what they're going through. I mean, it's a clever idea anyway. And the original, uh, One Cut of the Dead, really not that old. Is it? It's only been a couple no. of years. May, yeah, four or five years maybe. But you know what it reminded me of? That movie from several years ago now. It was the Japanese remake of Blood Simple. Yes. Uh, called like A Woman, a Gun, and a Noodle Shop. Right. It's like... Interesting. Mm-hmm. You want to take this on, okay? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I love that you're mm-hmm. you're trying to to do something that's pretty ambitious here, and it sort of reminded me of that in in a different by you're crossing these these cultural um, these different genres, and then the the fact that the original was in a totally different culture, but yet you still kind of leave some of that intact is very interesting. It is. It is, and I'm not saying I am not saying that it doesn't work. It does work. It's a charming funny, fun movie, and it's not, I mean, it's listed as a horror comedy. It, it, to be truth, truthful, it is not. It's a, it's a comedy. Yeah. There are horror elements, but they're clearly pretend. Yeah. And uh, if, so don't let that, you know, steer you away from if you're like, I don't like the gore. It's, it's, not, it's not a scary movie. It's not trying to be a scary movie. It's just, I would recommend finding one cut of the dead instead. And, and in the case of both of them, if you have any experience being on a, a movie, especially in, <laughs> especially in a small independent uh, movie shoot as we have, uh, it'll speak to you as well. Yes. <laughs> and that one is called Final Cut. Let's go to a VOD for a crime drama. It is said that every investigator has a crime that haunts them, a case that hurts him more than the others without him necessarily knowing why. And for Johan, that case is the murder of Clara. That's the basis for The Night of the Twelfth. C'est quelque chose qui cloche entre les hommes et les femmes. Boy, this one's impressive. Yeah, and this is the latest for Dominic Mole, who we knew uh, most from his film with a friend like Harry. Oh God, I love that movie. Love that movie from uh, several years ago now. Oh, probably fifteen. But he's yeah, he's got a he's got a long and impressive resume. That was our favorite. But yeah, this is this is an intense movie, and it is based on true events. So it is sort of a t- takes on the mantle of of a true crime, and also we'll tread somewhat familiar ground. We've seen these these films where there is a certain case, as that synopsis says, that just haunts an investigator. But even though it it stays within the case as far as the the uh, intimate nature of this one particular crime. It also has its mind on some more universal themes, and, and it's really impressive the way that it tells it. It's set in France where this there's there's a change with the local police precinct. One longtime supervisor is moving out, and that means that a younger Johan moves up to Le Capitaine and takes over. And just about when he does... There's this really heinous crime where a young woman, Clara, about 21 years old, walking home from a party and is attacked and killed. And that's 
the case that really that the, that the film centers on, and as Johan and his team start digging into what clues they can find in her life and what happened the night of the crime, and even at the very beginning when they're when they're at the uh, retirees uh, going away party at the very beginning of the film, you get you just see little bits of there's a generational divide uh, between the younger men on the forest and the older men, and that is. So part of a theme that gets continued throughout the film, especially with the character of Marceau. He's sort of like Johans, the Capitan's uh, right-hand man. He's a veteran investigator, and he's having some serious problems with his marriage while this is all going on, and that affects the way he approaches the case as well. And they use that to sort of come together, to bring the, the two threads together, not only of the investigation in the case, but the fact that as Johan digs deeper into things, he he realizes that there's something amiss, is what the way he put it. There's something amiss between men and women. And that is what the film really starts digging at through this case. Not only younger generations to older generations, but how uh, the world view of how the world views women and treats women. And even after a crime, how a woman's life is is dissected and, and viewed even as a victim, even as a dead victim. And it's, it's fascinating the way it just picks and picks and probes at these types of themes, even when it's centered on a, a crime that at least something similar to this, I didn't do a lot of research, but actually happened. Mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating the way it digs in. The, the entire cast is just great, even down to a, a couple of smaller roles with uh, Clara, the dead woman's uh, best friend, and then uh, a sympathetic judge after years who uh, of cold, dead ends in the case encourages Johan to keep at it. And it, it really is fascinating and so well done. It's, I mean, it's somber. It's tough. I mean, it's not a, the feel-good movie of the year, but it's really— Cinematography real, is glorious. Cinematography is great. It's set mainly in the French Alps, and they can be you know, imposing as, as this uh, main police captain. He, sort of, he, he likes to take bike rides through the Alps and clear his mind and, and challenge his body as they're going up these hills. And some of those shots are great and become just an, an imposing set of set of landscapes as they're dealing with this uh, really really tough case that they just can't get a handle on mm-hmm. and try to and try to nail this killer. So it's frustrating at times, but it, it really has something to say more than just this one true crime case. I know there's a lot of fans of true crime out there, but so you'll get. You'll get absorbed in the case, you will. At the same time, though, you'll realize that he's talking about other things. And it's really impressive the way that Maul is able to shift. Early on, you get you get a, a vibe of memories of murder type of thing, and then it shifts to a more of a, a, Carm- a Cormac McCarthy sort of nor- No Country for Old Men vibe where these investigators, especially the older one, is just is just so weary of the world around him, uh, not just with the violence, but then that trickles down to the younger policeman who realizes there's such a divide in the world between men and women. And it's fascinating how that that tone shifts, but at the same time is able to balance the entire tone of the film in such an effective way. Really liked this one from a very talented filmmaker. And by the way, look up with a friend like Harry. Oh, yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah, that's good, too. And that is, uh, and Maul also was a co-writer. I don't know if I mentioned that. But that is on uh, VOD right now called The Night of the Twelfth.
Let's stay with VOD for a drama. Meet Neil. He's lonely, gets bullied at work, and is unlucky in love. At the suggestion of a co-worker, he decides to go to a massage parlor, and in the process, his life changes in ways he never would have imagined. This is called Rub. It only costs you $80. Best money ever spent. (laughs) Have a good weekend, pal. I'm not a bad person! I'm not a fucking criminal! Writer-director here is Christopher Fox, and this one was uh, reviewed by Brandon Thomas at MadWolf.com. He loved it. He loved it. And it's a story of, you know, outsiders, you know, almost like Travis Bickle level kind of outsider right. losers. The people you don't know, do you root for? Do you not root for? You know, and and one of the things that the movie does in its very seedy way is that it does get you to root for, not just for uh, the main character, but the, the two protagonists. And at the same time, you feel yourself rooting, rooting, rooting for a happy ending and knowing that that's probably never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's something for... You know, keeping your interest and investment, even though you have the feeling you know how this is going to turn out, because it makes it seem how, however far-fetched and um, fictional, you know, the narrative is, you buy it. You've bought into this this life. It's a very impressive film. Yeah, and the lead, Neil, is played by Micah Speyer. So check out Brandon's full review at madwolf.com. But yeah, that's one that he liked and recommends on VOD now called Rub. Also on VOD this week, an action crime thriller. A sheriff tries to keep the peace when a desperate family man violently robs a pill mill with his brother-in-law alerting an enforcer for the New Orleans Mafia. It's called Mobland. Hey, Sheriff. Shelby. Don't believe I know you. You okay? You won't tell me something? This ain't your world. You don't control this. I didn't ask for this. Yeah, you did. You may all be sliding towards the edge. It's up to you how comfortable you are doing it. But there's a lot of people in this movie, and I do not know why. <laughs> yeah, the sheriff is John Travolta. Stephen Dorff uh, is in this as well, and Shiloh Fernandez, Kevin Dillon. And it reminded me of a movie reviewed last year, I think. It was one of the last, for one of those last geezer teasers for uh, Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. the one where he was with um, it was called Paradise, Paradise City. Right. Is that what it was? And some of the acting in that was so terrible, but then Stephen Dorff was in it, yeah. and he had the bad fortune to be in a few scenes with just some terrible actors, and he, I mean, he's good. He is good. And he just felt for him. Like, he had to know. <laughs> like, when you're an athlete playing with somebody that just, just can't keep up, he had to know. Yeah, he's in better company this time, but, and Matt Weiner reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com. It's just that there's there's nothing Nothing, nothing interesting happening here. You've seen it. It's like if you squint, you think, I have seen this movie before. You've yeah. seen it so many times, done so much better. It's so bland. And Dorf plays essentially Anton Chigurh. And that's <laughs> those are big shoes to fill. Those are big Oscar-winning shoes to big. fill. He, he does what he can, but the writing is poor. So, uh, you know, no amount of the, the cinematography is solid. You know, the direction isn't bad, but the writing is bad. And so none of these actors have any chance 
really to do anything with it. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it's just one of those mid-level, you know, straight to video, obviously it's a VOD sort of crime adventures that we're seeing so many more of that increasingly have actors such as John Travolta now. Mm-hmm. For a while, you know, Bruce Willis was doing so many of them. Of course, now we know why. But uh, Travolta's been doing them for a while. And Mel now, Gibson does Mel them Mel Gibson. And now it seems like maybe Stephen Dorff is doing a oh, few yeah. more of them too. But yeah, when you have talented people, and even, I mean, let's face it, Travolta is, is talented, has been very good mm-hmm. in movies. Uh, and when you pay the the big money to get them and then surround them with uh, not so much. It can be very obvious mm-hmm. that uh, sometimes that's what you're doing. Not not as much here as in the last one we talked about, but still nothing to really recommend. Matt Weiner's full review is at madwolf.com, and that's on VOD now called Mobland. And one more on VOD. Keiko City is plagued with poverty and crime when a corrupt businessman decides to run for mayor and starts eliminating opponents from the rival mafia. A former police captain serving time for murder is secretly released and put in charge of a special task force to arrest him. This is Bad City. Well, Schlocketeer Daniel Baldwin reviewed this one and loved it. Yeah. Loved it. It's and, just one of those movies that embraces what it is right. and does it well. Right. It's another, as you probably guessed from the synopsis, a Yakuza film mm-hmm. with just so much violence and fighting. But one of the things that he pointed out was a lot of it is hand-to-hand. Yes. And not only impressive fight choreography, but sound design as well with Foley artists and really making the sound pop with these fights. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, and it's just a really, it, it's a veteran cast of people that you will recognize from so many things, including Goju. It's my <laughs> yeah, favorite. Yeah. And, uh, but it's just incredibly well done. If this is, if you, if you like a Yakuza movie, you're going to like this one. Yeah. And you know, you're going to see a lot of the same themes. But is it well done? According to Daniel, yes, it is. And he's a fan. So, uh, And this one is a, a full two hours as well. But a movie like this that moves along with so much action and so much so much uh, quick pacing, you don't really feel it. No. Check out Daniel's review at madwolf.com. And speaking of... Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Heading back into the lobby for our latest check-in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, for the latest movings and shakings. What's moving and shaking? A lot. <laughs> First up, um, the Anthony Starr and Lizzie Kaplan-led uh, dark fairy tale horror film Cobweb will be available on VOD on August 11th. That got a very sparse theatrical release, so that'll probably be the first time most people get to see it. It did. It only opened in one theater here. Yeah. Just one in the entire city, so... Uh, <clears throat> Sparse is right. It's good, though. Yes, it is. And Pixar's Elemental will be available on premium VOD starting August 15th, which means it'll probably hit Disney Plus around mid to late September. Okay. And now I get to turn into Buzz Killington because I've got a bunch of delays for you. (laughs) Buzz Killington. All right, Buzz. To infinity (laughs) and beyond. (laughs) All right. Netflix has pushed back the release of their Kevin Hart action comedy list. To January 12th. It had previously been set for a premiere later this month. Um, they've undated their Millie Bobby Brown fantasy action film, Damsel, that was set for October this year. It now does not have a specific date. It'll arrive sometime next year. Uh, the same thing is the case for a rom-com called A Family Affair, which stars Joey King and Zac Efron and Nicole Kidman. That was set for November. 
now at some unspecified date next year. And they have also announced that three additional films that were expected for this year but didn't have dates yet are now moving to 2024 as well. That's uh, Gina Rodriguez starring The Players, Regina King starring Shirley, and the Adam Sandler starring Spaceman. So all of them got bumped. It's bumping season. Yeah, and this one's going to hurt. <laughs> um, Universal has postponed the release of Ethan Cohen's Driveaway Dolls from this September to February 23rd. Aww. So that's a, yeah. a big jump on that one. Yeah. So what does that mean? Do you think is that is it they had reshoots to do, and that is it has something to do with the strikes, obviously? But it seemed like these were finished. So I, what do you think it is? I think it's a combination of things. Obviously, you can't have talent promoting stuff oh, you know, right. while the SAG strike's going on. So that's a that's a factor. Um, not being able to shoot other stuff, not necessarily for these films, but for other movies, um, and needing these to fill the gaps for those yeah, since yeah. they're going to take longer to finish is also a a big deal, I think. And, you know, especially with the Ethan Cohen movie, that's the kind of, it's a small enough film where you're really going to need those actors out there stumping for it to let people know it actually exists. Mm-hmm. And then Sony upended pretty much their entire slate and shifted things around. Um, Ghostbusters 4 was set for December this year. It's now moved to the end of March. Uh, it's taking the slot that had previously been set for Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse which has now been undated because the actors haven't even done the voice work for that yet. Uh-huh. So it's definitely not making yeah. that March date. <laughs> uh, they, Sony did set new dates for a couple summer films. Um, Bad Boys 4 will hit on June 14th. Oh, um, good. That one's, already, that, <laughs> that one's already done, so it should actually <laughs> keep to that date. Whereas Venom 3 is set for July 12th. That one is not finished shooting. I don't know how... I don't know how sturdy that date is, let's put it that way. And then um, Eli Roth's next movie is a sci-fi action video game adaptation called Borderlands that stars Kate Blanchett, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Hart, and Jack Black. And that's been set for August 9th. That has been fully shot. August 9th of next year, of course. That has been fully shot, so it should keep that date unless it's moved to plug a hole somewhere else. And their biggest move was Craven the Hunter, which was set for October this year and is now not coming out until August 30th, 2024. Wow. Mm. Yep. Big moves. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, early COVID times. Uh, It's kind of the same thing all over again, just for different reasons. Yep. And I'll leave you with two uh, rays of hope with uh, project announcements. First up, Maggie Gyllenhaal is going to direct a new riff on The Bride of Frankenstein for Netflix, simply titled The Bride, which will star Christian Bale and Peter Sarsgaard. Wow. And it seems like we're missing a big name there because neither one of them is going to be the bride. (laughs) Yeah. um, Maybe she'll play the bride herself. (laughs) Uh, Or maybe her brother Jake will play the bride. Mm. (laughs) And then lastly, um, Happy Death Day and Freaky Director Christopher Landon has been set for the director's chair on Scream 7. Uh, that doesn't have a date yet, but I imagine it'll probably hit sometime in early 2025, providing the strikes don't run super long. I like that. I mean, I, I've liked I liked the last two, so it wouldn't have hurt my feelings to keep with the same director. But but Landon does just fun movies. Yes, he does. It's a good pick for screen. All righty, you can always check the latest from Daniel at the Schlocketeer on the socials. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, we've got a new Dracula movie. I hope it's better than the trailer, because I'll be honest, 
It's not hooking me right now. Last voyage of the Demeter. Speaking of trailers that aren't hooking me, Gran Turismo comes out next <laughs> week. I'm hopeful, maybe. Also, Pod Generation. Jewels. Elevator Game. Lakota Nation versus the USA. And one called Trader. So that is next week. But what about this week? The Trench, the Sharks, the Turtles. All sorts of stuff going on. Uh, let's talk. We always love to keep the conversation going. Or if you're still, you know what? If you're still in Barbenheimer mode, we can talk about that too. We can you all bet day. You we can uh, all day. It's all at uh, MadWolf.com. You can find us easily on Twitter, also on Facebook and Instagram and Threads. It's Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. New and dropping soon, by the way. That's all at MadWolf.com. So keep in touch. Have a great week. Get out. Enjoy the movies. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>